This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. I, of course, am your host, David Dole, and coming up on today's show, Canada's unemployment rate is at its lowest in at least 42 years, and there's a new industry that's played a budding part in that. I'll discuss that after 9.15. Also, Netflix takes a shot at Doug Ford. I'll also discuss the appointment of his buddy to OPP commissioner. That's after 9.30. And later on in the show, an uproar in France, why the French are protesting, and how mainstream news has largely gotten this wrong. All that and more coming up on The David Dole Show. But first, Kevin Hart has backed out of the Oscars over backlash he received to some of his old uh, homophobic tweets. Now, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Should, should he have backed out of this? So 416-872-1010, or if you're calling long distance, 1-877-518-5151. And you can also text me at 71010. So Kevin Hart has backed out of the Oscars over a backlash to his old homophobic remarks. Now, keep in mind here that he was not forced out. He, he chose, he decided to himself to back out here. Now... I'm going to go through some examples um, of some of his comments here. So one example is a 2011 tweet uh, from Kevin Hart. Here's a, a quote. Yo, if my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to break it over his head and say in my voice, stop, that's gay. Now, <laughs> look, this is, I feel kind of mixed on this. And I'll tell you why. So first of all, these are old comments. So th- this is back, this is uh, t- 2010, uh, 2011, uh, he, he's kind of moved away from these sort of uh, homophobic remarks since then. And uh, also, I mean, this, this joke that I just read from 2011, to me, this sort of speaks to his anxiety and isn't necessarily trying to be uh, anti-gay, even though I think obviously it also is. But the real issue here isn't how you may feel about this joke and, and think that people are being overly sensitive. It's what kind of culture does it it cultivate? So this is the reason why comedians have moved away from these sorts of jokes. I mean, the main reason is the backlash they face. But the reason for that backlash is because people want to live in a culture where they feel accepted, where their sort of minority isn't the butt of people's jokes. So these sorts of jokes are, I mean, they tend to punch down. So again, I want your thoughts on this. 416-872-1010, or if you're calling long distance, 1-877-518-5151. And you can also text me at 71010. Now, uh, before I get to more examples of Kevin Hart's uh, homophobia, or I guess past homophobia in his, in his uh, comedy here, Kevin Hart, uh, he sort of initially apologized, but not really. So let me uh, read here what, what, he, uh, what he actually did. So Kevin Hart said the Academy asked him to apologize or that they would find a, another host. Now, Hart said he chose not to issue the apology and instead stepped down, saying he did not want to contribute to feeding the Internet trolls. Now, there's one issue with that. The Internet trolls may have been the ones that surfaced these old uh, homophobic tweets, but the trolls were not the ones that were hurt by it. So uh, comedian and actor Billy Eichner, who is gay, tweeted out, quote, This is not good. A simple, authentic apology showing any bit of understanding or remorse would have been so simple. Like I tweeted a few weeks ago, Hollywood still has a real problem with gay men. 
On the surface, it may not look like it. Underneath, it's far more complicated. So after backlash to his non-apology, Kevin Hart finally did issue an apology, tweeting out, quote, I'm sorry that I hurt people. I am evolving and want to continue to do so. My goal is to bring people together, not tear us apart. Much love and appreciation to the Academy. I hope we can meet again. Which, I mean, <laughs> this apology is really all Kevin Hart had to do to begin with. So again, these homophobic jokes that he made are old. I mean, we're talking 2009, we're talking 2011, 2010. Now, for context here, Hillary Clinton did not publicly support same-sex uh, same marriage until 2013. Now, this is somebody in a position of real power, somebody who could have enacted real change. Yet, the fact that she did not change on this issue until 2013 did not even come up in the 2016 uh, election. So, there's, I feel like we almost put more pressure on our... Uh, on our comedians, on our actors, than we do on actual politicians. So I'll give you another example from uh, Kevin Hart's uh, homophobia here. So this is from a bit in Kevin Hart's 2010 stand-up special. Quote, one of my biggest fears is my son growing up and being gay. That's a fear. Keep in mind, I'm not homophobic. I have nothing against gay people. Be happy. Do what you want to do. But me, being a, heterose being a heterosexual male, if I can prevent my son from being gay, I will. Now, with that being said, I don't know if I handed my son's first gay moment correctly. Every kid has a gay moment, when it, and when it happens, you've got to nip it in the bud. Now, again, these are—I uh, think this one is, is especially terrible. I mean, it's, it's taken out of context, clearly. It was part of a, a larger bit and a, and a larger stand-up show. But, yeah, I mean, if he said this today, it would not be good. But these are old tweets— he did finally issue an apology, but I guess the bigger issue here isn't even, it's not the backlash. Uh, I think the backlash is fine. Um, people should decide what kind of society they want to live in. They should have the choice to be outraged about something if they want to be outraged about something. But it's how do people react to it? How do those people in power react to it? I think the Academy did the right thing by deciding to sort of um, give Kevin Hart the option of saying, well, look, you can apologize, or we're going to have to pick somebody else. Seeing that Kevin Hart did apologize afterwards, he could have did that to begin with and still been the host of the Oscars. Now, um, we do have a, uh, a call here, so let me get to Sarah. Uh, Sarah, what are your thoughts on this? Hi. Um, yeah, I think that Kevin Hart should have done that from the beginning because um, homosexuals and, and gay people have been oppressed for so long by institutions and mm -hmm. him being a black man, I would just expect that he would understand the struggle through oppression. Yeah. And um, like Paula Dean, for example, if she never came out and apologized for her racist remarks, everybody's up in arms, but it's almost like with homosexuality, you know, we're taking a more relaxed approach to it. Like it doesn't matter that it was in 2011. It still is hateful and hurtful. Mm -hmm. I think that the argument, just sort of playing a devil's advocate here, is that Kevin Hart is a comedian, and comedians tend to sort of uh, push the line, and I mean, that's kind of their job. Do you think it's it's different that that uh, if a comedian makes a joke like this as opposed to, say, Paula, Paula Dean doing it? Um, I, I see your point about the comedians, but 
I do feel like, you know, if it's Russell Peters and he's making race jokes about, you know, the forms in which he's been oppressed, then we can all have a laugh at it. But Kevin Hart's not gay. And, you know, there's huge issues about homosexuality in black culture, huge issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for him to poke fun at it, I, I think that that's insensitive. And I don't think that that's a joke that everybody could laugh at. Um, if you were to take a white male comedian and he was making black jokes, you know, we would we would take offense to that because he's yeah. not part of that group. But if we had a gay comedian making gay jokes, maybe that that would be tolerated and, and a little bit more accepted. Yeah. So you're of the school of thought that basically um, if you're punching down, then that's uh, to be frowned upon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you, Sarah, for the call. Yeah, no problem. So, yeah, I, I completely understand what, what Sarah was saying there. And I, I mean, I largely agree. I do think, though, that comedians should be given a little more leeway because oftentimes the joke isn't always exactly what it seems to be. So, like I, I said, his, uh, a joke that he did in uh, 2011 here on, on Twitter where he essentially, I mean, the, the joke is about his fear of his son being gay. But what I take from that is that this is really a joke about Kevin Hart's anxieties, Kevin Hart's fears, and not necessarily trying to to punch down at the gay community, though it is. I mean, it is punching down at the gay community. You just can't you can't ignore that part of it. But I, I do think, look, people evolve, people change. So I uh, the first time I ever voted, it was for a conservative and I am not a conservative now. I ran as a Green Party candidate two years ago. Look, so and that was just I mean, that's a span of maybe 10 years. And it's not much different here, especially when you think back to how 2010, especially in the U.S., 2011 was like, again, this is a time when Hillary Clinton still did not publicly support same sex marriage. This was the Democratic nominee in 2016, three years later, after finally supporting same sex marriage. And Barack Obama also did not support same sex marriage until 2012. So, look, we're. we're sort of expecting more of our comedians here than we are of, a, of our uh, politicians. If, if a politician had this position, and look, clearly, you know, Barack Obama wasn't out there making gay jokes, but the idea that if you can't, same-sex marriage, like the ability to do that, the freedom to be able to do that, to me, that's more of an issue than a gay joke. That, that clearly is actual impacting, uh, an actual impact on your freedoms, on your rights. I also want to mention uh, some other comments here from, from Kevin Hart, just to get give the, the full picture. So Kevin Hart turned down a role in Tropic Thunder because the character was, in his words, flagrantly gay. Uh, he said, quote, what I think people are going to think while I'm trying to do this is going to stop me from playing that part the way I'm supposed to. So again, this is speaking to his own insecurities. Be He's saying here that in his mind, because of how he thinks people will perceive him as playing a gay character, it's going to impact his ability to play that character. This is, he's almost admitting, if not straight up admitting that, look, this is my problem. I can't get over this, so I'm not going to, to do this. There's also a, a 2011 tweet from Kevin Hart where he takes a jab at someone's profile picture, saying it looks like a, quote, gay billboard for AIDS. Now that one, again, I, I think this one's just completely stupid. But, I mean, most of these are stupid. These are not good jokes. <laughs> these are terrible jokes. But I guess my, my, bigger, my bigger point here is I don't think people should get so worked up over something this old when we look back at society at that time and our politicians and our society hadn't evolved to the point that 
it has now. Now, in Canada, I say we're maybe a little different. But in the U.S., in the U.S., there is still, uh, at that time, there were still I- huge issues with, with homophobia. I mean, and there is today. But it is getting better. And all Kevin Hart had to do here was apologize and move on. But he he issued his apology, I guess, too late and was not willing to apologize initially and just decided to back out instead. But um, I think I would have a, a different position here if or I don't know, a, a similar position. But if if the Academy Awards came out and just straight up kicked out Kevin Hart and said, no, you can't apologize. There's no opportunity. You're gone. We're going to we're going to go a, a different direction. I would be against that. Because that doesn't give Kevin Hart the opportunity to to react and to apologize and to actually uh, treat this issue properly. But they did give him the choice. They gave him the opportunity to evolve and grow from this. And I think if we did apologize and discussed how he's evolved, then it would have been fine. We would have forgot about it. But he I just did it too late. Now, um, ultimately here, though, <laughs> it's funny that I'm talking so much about the Oscars because... I don't watch the Oscars. I, I this is something that's happening uh, happening increasingly more. It's just my generation, millennials and and uh, Gen Z, we're not really paying attention to the Oscars. We don't really pay attention to this entertainment news, this all this crap. So ultimately, I don't think this really matters to a lot of people. <laughs> it it does matter in, in the sense of culture still pays attention to these things. I mean, uh, society as a whole does. Uh, and that's simply because, you know, Gen X and, and the baby boomers are, are clearly right now still a, a, a massive pull in terms, of, in terms of ratings. But I don't know. I think award shows and the Oscars are going to continue becoming less and less important. And really, at some point, it's just going to stop mattering who, uh, who's hosting these things. And that's another question. Who is going to host these things? So this is something else that... Uh, I saw briefly before I before I uh, got on here, Jimmy Kimmel, who's been a host of award shows. I believe he was a host of the Oscars in the past. He um, he used to host a show called The Man Show. Now, if you know anything about that show, it was uh, incredibly sexist, and he had no problem being able to host award shows in these recent years. He he never got any flack for the fact that he hosted The Man Show back in the day. And I think that's largely because that was back in the day. That was in the past. We've moved on. So if people are can understand that we can grow and evolve and change, then we shouldn't get so attached to people's past words if they have shown that they've grown and changed. Uh, we have a call here from, uh, from Henry. So what are your thoughts on this? Yes, um, just uh, with all due respect to everything that's been said and everybody that's said it so far, that piece uh, that you read or recorded about Kevin Hart from whatever it was, eight or ten years ago, Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was a joke at all. I kind of thought that he was being rather personal and intimate about his own struggles and his hopes for his kids. I didn't think that uh, what he meant was if his kid became homosexual, he'd crucify him or anybody else for that matter. So I think there's a, it seems like the context isn't correct. It's called a joke. Yeah. Well, it was something rather personal, actually. It's yeah. A, I think that was a part of his act where it was actually the, the joke aspect was, was around that paragraph. And so um, when that poll, when that quote is being pulled, they, they don't have the, 
the context of the entire bit. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Like that that piece and that piece out of context sounds like it's just somebody speaking uh, their their own feelings about about you know their own anxieties. Yeah, basically. but it, it also speaks to how we're all reacting to sound bites and 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 uh, all sorts of things. You know, maybe I'm stretching it a little bit. It's mm -hmm. all the court of public opinion. Everybody's getting crucified for everything these days. And I agree with the part about he should have stuck around and, and uh, maybe he could have done more good for himself, others, and, and whatever stripe anybody is, you know? Yep. So. All right. Thanks, Henry. Okay. Yeah, so ultimately, I mean, this was Kevin Hart's decision. This... It, this isn't on the academy. This isn't. Uh, I wouldn't say this is on the the public for or for uh, you know reacting to this. This is on Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart could have apologized. He could have moved on. It would have been fine. But he decided uh, not to. So coming up next, Canada hits its lowest unemployment rate in at least 42 years, and the new budding industry that's contributing to it. This is the David Dole Show on In Depth Radio News Talk 1010. This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Canada's unemployment rate has dropped to 5.6% in November. Now, according to Statistics Canada, that's the lowest unemployment rate since 1976. Now, before I get into more details on this, let's open up the phones. So I want to hear how this economy is treating you. 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. Now, Canada's unemployment rate has dropped to 5.6% in November. Now, to give you an idea of how much of a surprise this was, economists were expecting just 10,000 new jobs to be added, but... Over 94,000 were added. Now, there could be many reasons for this, but when I'm, <laughs> anytime I'm questioning something and, and why something great is happening, I tend to look to cannabis because that really is the answer in a lot of cases, and it, it might be the answer here. So while the, uh, the legalization of um, recreational cannabis, uh, or since the, the legalization of recreational cannabis, there has been a clear uptick in, in job creation. So the number of people directly employed in non-medical cannabis was 10,400 on average over the past three months. So that's up 266% from a year earlier for obvious reasons. And 58% of cannabis jobs were in agriculture, while others were in retail, education, and healthcare. Now, one of the great things about cannabis-related jobs right now is that they pay better than the Canadian average, or than, than, yeah, the average Canadian gets. So the average hourly pay for cannabis work is uh, $29.58 an hour. Now, the reason for this is, I think, I guess, sort of obvious. I mean, a lot of these jobs are in agriculture, where there's going to be a much higher pay. Um, but also, I mean, if there are public sales in terms of, uh, you know, storefronts, those people get paid well for, for government jobs. Now, Doug Ford's privatization is actually, look, I, I rag on Doug Ford a lot on this show. Uh, I, I, I think almost every 
week at this point. I've had a segment about him, and it's usually me uh, complaining about him. But um, in this case, I actually largely agree with the privatization of, of cannabis. Now, I do think there is sort of a missed opportunity here with uh, well-paying positions in, in the public space. I don't really understand why there can't be public-facing stores as well as private-facing stores. But again, I think Doug Ford's plan, I have to admit, is better than the plan that the, uh, the liberals had. And it's because, I mean, this is the issue that I had with legalization uh, with the way that the liberals, both federally and provincially, treated legalization. They treated it like we were about to legalize plutonium. I mean, <laughs> cannabis is non-lethal. Nobody in the history of the world has ever died from smoking too much cannabis. Actually, <laughs> funny enough, more people have died from drinking too much water than they have from cannabis. And yes, you can look that up. There have been these weird uh, drinking water contests where <laughs> I'm not sure why you would have that, but um, I know at least several people in the States have died from overhydrating themselves. So if you can die from drinking too much water, but you can't from cannabis, I mean, it really shows you how safe cannabis is. So the idea that we were treating it like it was this, this scary thing and and, oh, we have to keep it right uh, completely under the government control because who knows whose hands it might get into. Like, get over it. And the funny thing is, I, I just know in 10, 20 years, we are all going to look back at this time and laugh at how, uh, at how scared we were of, of, uh, of cannabis. Now, to get back to the main topic here, though, I do want to talk about the economy and how it's treating you. So I want to hear from you. 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. Now, the unemployment rate alone is uh, not a good indicator of the economy. So wages are, I mean, they tend to be a, a better indicator of how people are doing. So even though the unemployment rate right now is uh, has dropped to its lowest at 5.6% in November, the lowest since 1976, I don't think the unemployment rate is really something we should be overly uh, focused on because, look... You can drop the, the unemployment rate pretty damn low if you start paying people like a dollar an hour. So the idea that that is a, an indicator of how people are actually doing, I just think is, is flawed. It really matters what people are making. And how are wages doing? Well, they're not looking too great. So the hourly uh, wage growth for, for, permanent, for permanent employees are in decline. And the cost of living is already too expensive for the average Canadian. I mean, I think most people listening right now can agree that either your mortgage payments are too high, your rent's too high, food's too expensive, gas is too expensive, owning a car is too expensive, the internet's too expensive. I mean, we are living beyond our means. And that's the society that has been created around us thanks to neoliberal policies, which I will get into in the last segment with France. But this this neoliberal idea where, oh, if you if you listen to the corporations, if you listen to the the business leaders, if you listen to the wealthy, the people that inherit their wealth, yes, they have all the answers for us, and the rest of us just have to live with it. Well, how's that going? So this is an issue with both the liberals and the conservatives. Now people get confused sometimes when they hear the word neoliberal. Neoliberal isn't does not mean liberal. Neoliberal is actually a, a conservative ide ideology in terms of 
What it actually is, is listening to the best interests of corporations and the wealthy over the best interests of the people. So this idea that people, if you have wealth, if you've amassed wealth, then you must know more than the average person. When in reality, a lot of the time, the people that, that have amassed this sort of wealth have inherited a, a lot of it. They, they have, you know, wealthy parents who, who started their business. I mean, just look at the, <laughs> the similarities I see constantly between Donald Trump and, and Doug Ford make me laugh. These are two politicians who were bo both born into wealth. They were both born into a family where, where they inherited their business. Now, you may look at that and think, well, sure, but they, they're doing a good job now because they're, they're still running the business. They're still doing well. Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> like Donald Trump especially. This, this is a, a guy that inherited $200 million, and he went bankrupt. I mean, that shows you how terrible he is at managing money. Yet during the election, people were, were uh, uh, they supported him because he was a business leader. He was a businessman. He knew how to do business well. This guy went bankrupt seven times. So, look, just because you have wealth does not mean that you earned that wealth. Does not mean that you know more than the average person. In fact, I'd say in most cases you know less because you don't know what life is like for the average person. So, while the unemployment number looks great, wages are not where they should be. And that's because we keep prioritizing corporations over everybody else. Coming up next, Netflix takes a shot at Doug Ford. What? Yes, I, and I may issue a rare quasi-defense of Doug Ford here. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. You're listening to The David Dole Show, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to The David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Now, Netflix Canada appeared to take a shot at Doug Ford this week. So on Wednesday, the uh, Netflix Canada account tweeted out, quote, since the Ontario sex ed curriculum has gone back in time, you can learn about sex the way teens in the 90s did. All the American Pie movies are now on Netflix. <laughs> now, this appears to be an obvious poke at the Doug Ford government. Before I get to that, though, I want to say American Pie, the first one released in 1999. So this is a, a real stretch by Netflix Canada to, uh, to try and make a joke out of this. But um, look, typically corporations stay out of politics, but politics has sort of become this booming industry of its own. And when it comes to uh, social issues like this, you're not going to get much pushback from the general public. But I am going to issue uh, a semi-defense of, of Doug Ford here, but it's not about the content of the tweet. So... Netflix Canada is on the educated side of this issue, and Doug Ford is on the ignorant side of this issue. The sex ed curriculum has gone back in time. But while these cultural, political issues have become, uh, have become more and more popular, it's been a way, clearly for advertisers, to try and uh, <laughs> cleverly brand their products. And they're using this as a distraction from issues that deal with economics. So look, whether it's Doug Ford, Trudeau, or Netflix, their interests are all fundamentally similar. They all come from the same elitist circles. And big tech companies have no interest in dismantling the system that props up characters like Doug Ford or Trump because it affords them this avenue of critique. 
So wagging your finger at Trump and Ford while lobbying for tax breaks for the rich and powerful, to me, is not activism. That, that, uh, now, that isn't to take away from the fact that this issue does have cultural importance and standing up against something like the reversal of the sex ed program is important. But it's simply to say that that's not enough. So the resistance to figures like Trump and Ford are needed, but there also needs to be resistance to the corporations that promote their, their economic policies over the best interests of the people as a whole. And guess what? There actually is a major party leader in Canada that agrees with me. So in response to Netflix's uh, hike in subscription prices recently, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh tweeted out, quote, I love binging Stranger Things too, but let's remember, Netflix receives special treatment to avoid paying Canadian taxes. So if they're claiming this will help fund exclusive content, it begs the question, how much of that new content will be Canadian? Now, the, uh, the answer that always pops in my head, because I hear a lot of people say it, is, look, I don't care about Canadian content, so why do I care about this? It completely ignores. So that, that kind of thinking, look, I don't care if you don't care about Canadian content, but it completely ignores the money and the Canadian jobs that are lost when there isn't a focus put on Canadian content. Now, I hear some other people screaming in the radio saying, but Netflix has promised to spend $500 million over five years on the production and distribution of Canadian movies and TV shows. And sure, that sounds good. $500 million? That's a lot of money, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> Netflix accidentally revealed how little that is when they bragged about spending, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars on Canadian content in just 2016. So Netflix promised $500 million over five years, but has already admitted to spending hundreds of millions in Canada in 2016 alone. This is the game that corporations play. Strong on social issues, but once it gets to discussions about money and the economy, they're tight-lipped. Because ultimately, Netflix is amoral. It's a corporation. It exists to turn profits. And who benefits the most from these profits? Those that are already in positions of power. Shareholders, executives, etc. Unless we change that system. Now, does uh, Netflix care that Doug Ford froze the minimum wage for the next four years? Does Netflix care that Doug Ford ripped away two paid sick days? Does Netflix care that he ended rent control when the cost of living is already at record highs? No, Netflix doesn't care. Netflix is not going to tweet about that because Netflix doesn't care about that. Social issues is something that they are free to comment on because it doesn't impact their ability to make money. And that ultimately is the issue here. Corporations are going to play this game where they're going to act like, oh, yeah, we're going to take a, a funny poke at Doug Ford in a tweet because we think that's, that's, that's clever. And look, it is clever. <laughs> it, it definitely works on a lot of people. And it, it, would, it would work on me as well if I wasn't aware of the larger picture here. The picture being that Netflix distracts you with these social issues by being strong on these social issues. And that's good. But they're going to completely ignore the economics of everything. They're going to ignore the fact that people are not being paid what they deserve. They're going to ignore the fact that labor unions are being decimated. They're going to ignore the fact that the cost of living keeps going up. They're going to, ignore, they're going to ignore all of that because they don't care about that. What they care about is anything that can't impact their ability to make money. And 
in terms of their ability to make money, they do care about the, the, those issues, but they care about those issues behind the scenes. They care about those issues when they're lobbying our, uh, our government. So just keep in mind, if you see any of these sorts of, you know, uh, any corporation using social issues to try and, and elevate them, while I support that, keep in mind that these are also the same corporations that will gladly lay you off. They will gladly cut your wages or not pay you what you deserve because they're only a, their only reason for existing. The only reason for any corporation to exist is to make more and more money, and they don't care who they hurt in the process. Coming up next, an uproar in France, why the French are protesting and how mainstream news has largely gotten this wrong. This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Now, before I get into these uh, protests in France, uh, let me talk a little bit more about Doug Ford <laughs> because I was a little too kind to Doug Ford this week, so I feel like I got I to gotta bounce out a little bit. So Doug Ford appointed his buddy Ron Taverner to OPP commissioner. Now, let's talk a little bit about this. This is a clear, clear conflict of interest. Now, if you're having a problem seeing this, imagine Dalton McGinty, the liberal Don uh, Dalton McGinty, orange air scandal, gas plant scandal. Imagine Dalton McGinty appointed his buddy to oversee those investigations. That's what we're dealing with here. If there is any potential uh, investigation into the Doug Ford government, his buddy is overseeing it. So even apart from anything else that I'm about to get to here, that is the most important part of this. This is a clear conflict of interest. But on top of that, look, it's one thing to have a conflict of interest. It's another to not even have the guy be qualified for the job. So the original job posting required at minimum the rank of deputy chief or assistant commissioner. Taverner, a superintendent with the Toronto Police Service, sits two ranks below that before... Of course, the job listing was changed, which allowed his friend to apply and get the position. Now, Doug Ford also admitted that he was, in fact, in the cabinet meeting that appointed his friend. And in doing so, Ford also appeared to have, breaked, uh, to, to have broke the Members' Integrity Act that bans MPPs from a decision that furthers an MPP's own private interests. And the NDP have raised this issue objecting to the fact that Doug Ford did not recuse himself from the final cabinet decision to appoint Taverner to the job. Now, I will give, look, I got to be fair here. There is a, a, reports going around in the media where they are going after his close, uh, or they're reporting on the fact that his close advisor sold a house to Taverner. I don't understand why that matters. I mean, <laughs> Doug Ford has already admitted that he's friends with this guy. He has already admitted that, 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 he was, uh, that Ford was in the room when he was appointed. I don't know what his what is uh his close advisor selling a house to taverner has to really has to do with anything i mean i could see if duck ford was trying to to move away from the fact that he was related to or or that he was friends with taverner but he's not moving away from that so that's my little mini defense there of, uh, of ford but ultimately i mean that, that isn't the issue here the issue is that ford appointed his buddy to the opp commissioner position and that is just obviously a clear conflict of interest 
But France, let me get to France. So there have been mass protests across France that started on November 17th. Now, there's been, uh, so it's about three weeks of protests that have led to the death of four people um, and hundreds injured in central Paris. And uh, Paris is littered littered with burning cars and shattered windows. Now, these protests include 31,000, quote, yellow vests with the support of 72% of the French people. Now, the yellow vest was chosen as a symbol because all motorists are required by law to have high-visibility yellow vests in their vehicles when driving. So, why are they protesting? Well, most of the media's focus has been on rising fuel prices, which is definitely a part of it. But both the conservative and liberal media have gotten this wrong. It's not really about fuel prices. So, France's Prime Minister on Tuesday suspended a planned increased uh, a planned increase in the fuel tax for six months in response to these protests. But guess what? These protests are still going on, which shows you that this is not about the fuel tax. It's also about the high cost of living and the disproportionate burden of the government's tax reforms falling on the working and middle classes. So President Emmanuel Macron is now being deemed the, uh, quote, president of the rich by uh, the French, and his approval rating is in the 20s. Now, why is this happening? Well, I'll tell you. Macron is a centrist, a moderate, somebody who was supposed to be able to bridge the gap between the two sides. Someone like, you know, a Hillary Clinton, an Obama, or a Trudeau. But it's not working. People are realizing, more and more people are realizing that neoliberals like this, and again, neoliberal is is cross-party. It could be a conservative, it could be a liberal. The idea is that neoliberal policies protect the wealthy and large corporations, yet discriminately or, or disproportionately push down against those that are poor and middle class. So protesters in France are calling for the reintroduction of the solidarity tax on the wealth and uh, the raising of the minimum wage and the resignation of President Emmanuel Macron. Now, it's also important to point out that a fuel tax is different than a cap and trade system. So Europe already imposed a a cap-and-trade system 13 years ago. So this is not about, you know, the kind of system that that we have in Canada. This is a a fuel tax, a direct fuel tax, which is a regressive tax that disproportionately hits the poor and the middle class the most. Now, look, I'm a lefty. I I don't hide it. But I am completely against a fuel tax that disproportionately hits the poor and the middle class. Now, oftentimes in, say, a cap-and-trade system, some of those costs will unfortunately fall to the poor and the middle class. But we have to ensure that the costs associated with this, when going after what we're trying to address climate change, that the people that are polluting the most and the people that are the wealthiest are the ones that are paying their fair share. People like you and me are already being squeezed to death through a, a lack of our ability to to pay rent, our low wages. I mean, the idea that we should be f- uh, footing the bill for this is absolutely ridiculous. And that is why the French people are fighting back. It's not just about a fuel tax. It's about this whole idea of neoliberal policy, how people are being squeezed. The poor and the middle class are conti- continue to be squeezed while the wealthy and corporations don't have to sacrifice anything. That is a broken system. You can follow me on Twitter at David Dole, last name spelled D-O-E-L, or visit me on YouTube at therationalnational.com. 
Thanks for listening to The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.